Thank you, buddy. Appreciate it. Go ahead and grab a seat. Make yourself comfortable. We're going to be in Luke 6 today. So if you have a Bible or an app, go ahead and go to Luke 6. It's a great passage. It's a warm and fuzzy one until we try to apply it. (laughs) Then it gets a little brutal. But Jesus is going to teach us today how to love people who don't really deserve it. Okay? People who are difficult. People who are exhausting. People who are weird and draining and awkward and cringy. And they ask too much from us. And then on top of just teaching something like that, as the gospel hits its high note, he's going to show us with his life the very thing that he's teaching us today on how to love unlovely people. And believe it or not, this has quite a, di- quite a, bit, quite a bit to do with um, how we do family. As we go through this series in reclaiming our families back, we're going to see that one of the things that we're going to need to do is bear a long term with a lot of love with very difficult people. Um, and we're going to see today that Jesus does not going to teach us how to make hard people go away. And he's not going to teach us how to fix hard people, right? I've looked for those passages. I can't find them anywhere. Someone let me know if you find a passage like that. What he's going to do is he's going to teach us today how to prepare our hearts for a long life with difficult people. Or not. Or not. Because as we're also going to see today, we also can be ready for the prospect of cutting people off. Cutting people out of our lives. Does that sound odd? That I'm saying that? A pastor would say that? That there is time, as Jesus says, to shake the dust off of your feet and move on from one person to another person? And if that is true, how do you know? How do you know when it's time to move on from a relationship, even a family one, even a family relationship? I know that sounds like sacrilege in the deep south too, right? I mean, blood being thicker than water and all, right? But is blood being thicker than water, is that a biblical principle? Did we get that from God or did we get that from culture? I want you to ask yourself that for a moment, right? And see, I think we need to address this topic because many of you who have walked into this room have already moved on from family members or not just family members, but maybe a family level relationship, whether it's community, your old bestie, someone you're in community with here, in a missional community, however you want it, some, some relationship that might sit on the same shelf is a family relationship. Some of you have already moved on. Maybe they were dangerous, unnecessary, manipulative, awkward, I don't know. Maybe it was an uncle, a sister, best friend, a brother, and you've probably wondered the whole time, is it okay that you moved on? Is it okay that you did that? See, when we started months ago putting the framework together for this campaign through reclaiming our families, I knew back then that family is not a warm word for everybody in the room. It could be a terrifying word for some of us. It could be a loathsome word for many of us. So my goal today is to help you discern through the gospel leadership of Jesus how to handle very difficult, close relationships in your life, particularly family particularly family or family level. Okay, so Luke 6 is going to be very helpful. This is going to be the word of the Lord for us today. Going to show us Christ at a very, very clear level. So Luke 6.32, this is Jesus teaching those close to him. And he says this, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. 
And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For every sinners are, or for even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend. Expect nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Okay. The main idea, the big idea is tolerating easy people is easy. Which is why an unbelieving world can do it just as easily as the church. But gospel people will love their enemies with zero expectation of any kind of a reciprocate love, a love back to them. And when we do this, when we love enemies deeply, we are in fact loving in the same shape that God himself did, as he himself loves us while we were yet enemies, by even giving himself, even giving his deepest treasure. Because let's face it, we need this passage, no way you're going to make it through this life without having people in your families or your church drain the life right out of you right? It's going to happen. Go ahead. Imagine their faces. Get it out of your system. You know who they are. They're probably in this room, right? Or they're in a family portrait. Or they're going to be at the next family function. You know who I'm talking about. And what we try to do is we try to build a life where we don't have those people in our life. We want this ecosystem where everyone is awesome and easy and don't demand anything from us. Low maintenance. They're not mean to us. Sounds great. This garden that we try to build with only perfect people all the time. But weeds grow in this perfect garden, don't they? Awfully quick, too. And before long, a phone number pops up on your phone, and you just have this moment of, oh, right? Or they walk in a room, and you just immediately want to be in another room, right? Weeds grow. Maybe they hurt you. Maybe they just annoy you. Maybe they cost you, drain you, bug you, challenge you. But in your mind, they are an enemy. They're an enemy. You know, see, what we do is we make passages like Luke 6. I'm guilty of this. We make passages like loving your enemies about people who walk around with guns or trying to hurt us or steal our car or something like that. And so what it does is it allows us to keep the passage at an arm's distance from us. But it is much closer than that. It's much closer than that. Some of our enemies are real, that's for sure, and some are perceived. Some are imagined enemies. Maybe your enemy causes you tension. Maybe they cause you trauma. And those aren't the same things, right? Tension and trauma. Whatever they did, whoever they are, they're not welcome in your ecosystem. You want them somewhere else. They don't have to be abusive. They just need to be clingy. They don't have to be wicked or heretical, just weird just no idea of social distancing or any distancing at all. They don't know how to manage a room. Whatever it is, they drain you, and then they drain you, and then they drain you, and then they drain you some more. You know, one psychologist I read talking about things like this, he said it's easier in your mind if you split people up into three different departments. One are those who have some sort of a disability or a disorder, whether it's mental or physical or emotional, because it's something that they truly struggle with, and yet they have ripples that affect everyone around them, right? Another one are addicts, people that pervasively, they pick stuff up and they just can't put it down. 
And yes, it damages their life, but it also damages other people's lives as well. And then the third one he said are just people who are fools. People that are foolish doing foolish things all the time. It's helpful for me. First of all, it's also important for all of us to know that if you have someone like this in your family or people like this in your family or in your missional community, that's normal. You're not unique. You're not unique. You're in a big club. You are patterned after your first father in the garden. Adam had this. Adam's son committed murder against his own brother. You don't get very far in the Bible before you see the first murder happen inside of a family unit. Same family tree. And I'm sure after the fall they had marital issues. I'm just going to guess on that. I don't have that anywhere. I'm just going to make a guess. And then you have Noah who had a son that exposed him when he was vulnerable and dishonored him before the whole family and that ended in a curse. You've got Abraham who impregnated his servant at the brilliant behest of his wife who later on hated the servant for doing what she asked to happen. That happened. That's in your Bible. And they hated her for it. And he also gave his wife away. There's that. That worked out really well. His son would do the same thing, Isaac, right, who had two sons that hated each other. And then yet his wife was on one kid's side and he was on the other kid's side. And you have Jacob, one of those kids, who lied to his own father while he was dying so that he could steal from his older brother. And guess whose counsel that came by? Moms, right? Moms. So he runs off because he's scared his brother was going to kill him, which likely could have happened, to find Laban with his own big bag of traumas and tensions, who on the wedding day swapped daughters to be the bride. And by the way, that dishonored both brides. Both women were dishonored in that. And then those daughters would grow and hate each other. Guys, that was just in the book of Genesis. That's just one book in, right? Don't even get me started on David, Solomon, right? If the Bible is to be taken seriously, and I submit that it is, if we are to read it honestly and let it read us, then we will see before we even get to the third page that siblings, parents, kids, grandparents, in-laws, those relationships are going to refuse harmony. They're going to refuse it. Your missional community, it's going to refuse harmony. And sometimes the pain can be too much, which begs the question we started with, is it ever biblical to cut a relationship off? Hear me, you might be surprised with this. Okay, this is Paul in the book of Romans towards the end of his book. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. Avoid them. He says to Titus, one of his disciples, as for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Now, he's speaking about people who call themselves Christians right here, right? But, but they're also being heretical and destructive and contentious. They're blowing up what God has spent time putting together, expensively putting together. And Paul is saying, have nothing to do with them. Shake the dust off your feet and move on. And which seems a little bit surprising because if you know Paul at all, he typically confronted those things head on. He didn't avoid them. I mean, read the book of Galatians. That's what it is. That's what Galatians is. That's what 1 Corinthians is. He's grabbing it by the horns. And there's that cringy moment where he is calling Peter out, that little locker room moment where he's calling Peter out in front of the guys, in front of the fellas. 
He didn't avoid them. He dealt with it. So what, what's the difference here? He's doing this because he's calling them to repentance. His hopes is that they will turn from their sin, that they will come to their senses. That's what he's doing. But when they won't repent, and when they are set out to destroy, he says, avoid them. Be done with them. So what does this have to do with your annoying family members or your community group? All right? Maybe nothing. And that's the point. That is the point. There is a time to insulate yourself from harmful wolves and manipulators and abusers. There's a time to do that, but not an annoying, clingy person. Right? There is a time where you might have to have a conversation and probably should have a conversation with somebody that sounds like you're dangerous with, for our family. Like, I, I don't feel comfortable with my kids being around you. I don't feel comfortable with you being around my wife or my husband. There might be times for that type of a conversation, but not when the people are just inconvenient, emotionally expensive. And even when we are dealing with divisive people, wolves, manipulators, abusers, we're instructed to walk in a kindness, making sure and looking over our own souls that we ourselves do not fall into deep sin. This is what he says to Timothy, his other main disciple. He says this in the second chapter. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So here's the formula that we keep seeing over and over again. When you see division and heresy, call them to repent. If they're abusing and manipulating and destroying, call them to repent. If they don't, move on. This isn't just to protect you, by the way. This is handling them in a loving way that by God's grace will help them see Christ clearly and compellingly and help them come to their senses as you pray for them. Because they don't always come to their senses. Paul says in Romans 12, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. But here's the thing. It's not always possible to make peace, and it doesn't always depend on you. And here's a newsflash. Some people hate correction, right? Some people don't like to be corrected. They won't. They won't repent. They will continue to destroy. They will mow people down. They will continue to flip things over and set them on fire with no godly sorrow and we should avoid them. Should avoid them. Even family? Some of us have family members or close friends who claim to love Jesus but burn the world down around them. And you've kindly and consistently called them to repent and they won't. Some of us have family that is legitimately dangerous and have caused trauma and they will continue to do so. So move on. Move on. And the command to avoid them, it's going to release the Christian from a perceived obligation. And it's going to let a soft-hearted person break from an abuser or a manipulator or a destroyer. Not just for your sake again, but for their sake. It's no help to a contentious, destructive person to enable them by giving them consistent access to your intimacy. By giving them access to the very core of who you are. Pray for the Holy Spirit to change their heart. Pray that they would come to their senses. Pray that Jesus would revolutionize them, but move on. And listen, this is not an exhaustive teaching on when to avoid people. That, that deserves its own section. 
like how to handle someone who is physically abusive, sexually abusive, emotionally abusive. How do you forgive a person like that? What does forgiveness look like? Do you reconcile? Do you not? What kind of proximity does that person get? What if they're just a fool and you're too tempted to walk, as the Bible says, in the way of the wicked? What do you do with that? That's a totally different subject. But what we can see right here is that unless the spirit moves on a heart, a heart's not going to repent. And if your correction is not received and they're not repenting and they're still flipping everything over with no godly sorrow, kindly love them by by just moving on. Moving on. I've had, this is not hypothetical for me, I've had to break away from dangerous relationships. Christians who spur correction and break everything around them. And it feels hard in the moment. It actually feels a little unchristian. You kind of say in the back of your mind, would Jesus do something like this? Would, would Paul do something like this? I've had to avoid them. I've had to have nothing to do with them, as Paul says here. They keep breaking what God is building, and I had to shake dust off my feet and move on. And so will you. But, okay, but. And you knew a pivot was coming, didn't you? But the world is quick, if we're all honest, about cutting what we call toxic relationships. That's the new word, right? Toxic, if you're toxic. Toxic relationships. And when we're done cutting toxic people out, we consider ourselves brave for doing that, right? Now that's the thing. You are a brave person for cutting people away that are exhausting to you, which is a problem because the gospel is a story of embracing an enemy rather than cutting them off. Does it sound like I'm unsaying everything I just said? You see, for the world, an enemy is anyone who might bruise your ego or dent your feelings or infringe upon your delicate sense of self or tell you what you cannot bear to hear. They drain. They cost you. This is different than the life that Paul was talking about earlier. The world's concern is to avoid draining people. Not dangerous people, but exhausting people. There's this dumb Instagram post I keep seeing. If we could put one of them up on the screen. I'm so excited about this post. There it is. Life is too short to spend time with people who suck the happiness out of you. Have y'all seen this? Listen, if you're not excited about this background, the good news for you is you can get it in multiple backgrounds. Go ahead and go to the next one. Yes, yes. Life is too short to spend time with people who suck the happiness out of you. And if you don't want to just carry it on your phone, you can either have a mug that says the same thing. So you can greet the day with this great life mantra. And then you can always wear a shirt later on to remind everybody else that if they are a mean person, you're not going to let them suck the happiness right out of you. It's so boringly predictable though, right? I mean, let's face it. If someone lets you down, if they fail you, They blow your phone up with clingy nonsense all the time. They keep sending you conspiracy articles you never asked for, right? (laughs) They're always mocking you for who you voted for. They can't quit talking about vaccines or the end times or anything else. Or maybe they just step up and call you out on your garbage and the sin that you have. Is that the sort of relationship you really deserve? I mean, isn't it time to upgrade Pull some weeds, get them out of your life. The world says yes. The world says don't spend time with people who are going to suck the happiness right out of your life. And that is where the church is so quick to conform. Which is why Jesus says even sinners love those who love them. 
right? Even the church can avoid people who suck the life out of us. Let's face it, you have family. You have family members or people even in your comm group. You secretly hope they don't show up to anything. They didn't abuse you. They're not dangerous for your kids. They could just turn one minute into an hour better than anyone you've ever met in your life. You have people in your community group that you just really want to move to another community group. They're not destroying the church. They're not arguing heretical myths. They're just weird. No social IQ at all. No spatial awareness. And you struggle, right? Let me just say, not all tensions are traumas. Some of us in the room, we've had some traumas. Brutal ones, right? Great disruptions into our life that follow us. They've done great harm. But we cannot act as if every inconvenience is a dangerous trauma. Cannot. Because this is what it will do. When you avoid people you should stay with, it acts as a sort of, like a fertilizer for the bitterness in your heart. It's now every time you see that perceived enemy going forward, it just becomes another thing that you see that gives you a reason to detest them. You start maybe adding up, rehearsing their failures. It becomes a, a moment of, well, of course they did that. Of course they did that. Sure, I'm sure they said that. Here they go again. It becomes that. And that's just, it's going to feed the bitterness in your heart. And so what happens is, is if we give in to that, the only people we're ever going to let around us are easy, low-maintenance people that never call us out, never make things uncomfortable, never cringy, only perfect, never awkward, never expensive emotionally. But here is the truth for me and the truth for you. Uncomfortable people are good for us. You're not in danger by having awkward people in your life. You're in danger when you don't have them in your life. You'll never look like Jesus. You'll never grow as a Christian with only and exclusively a low-maintenance friend group or puddle of besties. It's never going to provoke the growth in you. The Christian life is one of forbearance, of long-suffering with very difficult people. And we see it over and over and over again in the New Testament. Paul says that we bear with one another in love, with humility and gentleness and patience. He says that we should look not to our own interests but to the interests of others. He says to another church that love bears all things. You see, the gospel is going to lean us in one direction. It's going to be towards forbearance, not escape. That's where the gospel leans us, which mocks the dumb post I keep seeing. It's a mockery of it. Life is too short. Our gospel is the story of where we literally suck the life out of Jesus who came to live and abide with us, to be with us. And we were more than just exhausting. We were enemies, not perceived ones, not alleged enemies, but real enemies. It says this in Romans 5, For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. And we're going to talk about that. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I was an enemy. I was an enemy who literally drained the life out of Jesus Christ. He found me more than annoying. Found me dangerous. He found me full of bad doctrine. He found me heretical. Found me divisive. 
I was totally fine destroying anything that he built. Everything he called beautiful, I was totally fine saying was ugly. And everything he said was ugly, I was very quick to say is beautiful. I had a hard heart. And he made me his friend. He made me his friend. He reconciled me to himself. And he pursued me, not when I was impressive. He pursued me when I was weakest, ugliest, and most destructive. It's the gospel for all of us, really. And now that same good news that saves us sustains us. Because now we're free from the need to build this perfect ecosystem around us. We're we're free from the the demand to have only put together easy, low-maintenance people around us. Because what we're really looking for in that peace and in that comfort is only satisfied vertically with what God has done for us in Christ. Let me tell you now, do not throw away people who make you tired. Do not do it. It moves in the opposite direction. Now, God doesn't command you to consider everyone in your life an intimate friend, okay? I don't think I have to say that. And the gospel doesn't, and God himself doesn't command us to let every person influence us deeply. But abandonment, avoidance, that's not an option. That's not an option. So which is it? Do we cut them away or do we hold them close? Hard question. I mean, it's going to be tempting for us to stay when we should leave and leave when we should stay, right? Deciding whether to cut someone out of our life, that's a heavy burden, particularly when it's family, mostly when it's family. So as we decide what to do with the tensions and the traumas and the relationships around us, maybe there's a few application points before we finish the sermon. One is just acknowledge that this is normal. We're a fallen creation, folks. We don't always believe that God is who he says he is. We don't always say that he's telling the truth. We sin. We bang into each other. We, we damage others and others damage us. That's where we're at. This is what we acknowledge. We're annoying, too, to each other. I know what you're thinking in your mind. It's the same thing I think in my mind. You walk in the room, and there might be annoying people in the room, but you're never one of them, right? We always see everyone else as annoying. Do you know that you're annoying, though? Like, you're annoying. Like, you annoy people. You need to know that, that when people see you, they're like, God, I wish you would quit doing that. Or I wish you would stop saying that. You don't even see it, though. We're all annoying each other. This is something that we should be free to acknowledge. And then when it comes to cutting someone out of your life, maybe just assess how accurately are you seeing this situation. This is important. Ask, is there a chance I could be in the way? Maybe I should repent. Maybe I've got some soul work to do. Is it unhealthy for me to continue to enable them? How much am I already enabling them? Am I too easily swayed by them? Does this relationship need to totally dissolve? Or do I just change the proximity, the access that I give a person like that? And then probably more importantly, am I just trying to throw away an exhausting person? Am I trying to discard someone that makes me tired? Here's a pro tip. You are not seeing everything clearly. You do need help on that. You're very close to the situation. More eyes, more experience, more biblical insight could be very helpful for you in that moment. If you are alone and you are outside of wise counsel, you will inevitably lean towards leaving when you should stay and staying when you should leave. In fact, that's the reason some of you won't bring counsel into it. It's because you know that what other people are going to say isn't what you're going to want to hear. That's what makes it difficult. 
There's also room for us to repent as an application. What you're looking for in this perfect ecosystem, that was lost in the garden. And we're not going to see it again until the new kingdom comes, the new city that's waiting for us. Until then, we have here and now. We have each other. We have today. We have grace. We have the shape of the cross, right? Another application is just to pray a bunch. Act by praying. If you have to cut somebody out of your life, you need to be clear. You need to be clear. You need to be honest. You need to be kind. You need to get counsel on how you do it as well. But you need to pray. Don't just cut somebody out. Listen, that's selfish. Just shaking the dust off of your feet with no concern for their future, that's not helpful. That's selfish. Right? Pray for the Holy Spirit to change their heart. Pray that they come to their senses. Pray that there's a better ending to the story that you have with them. Another application is to grieve. If you do have to cut somebody out of your life, mourn the brokenness. It's a sad thing. It's one of the things Jesus came to reverse. It's a difficult thing. We see this interesting little moment in Psalm 55 where David is speaking. And he says, but it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. And that's in a lament where this guy stabbed him in the back. It's a lament. He is grieving this close relationship gone south. And then the last application is after we grieve, quickly pivot to look forward with hope. Hope. We all want family. We all want communal harmony. It's something to work towards. But in God's plan, it might not be what's most needed in the moment. This might sound off a little bit. Bear with me. Harmony is not necessarily always the win. What may be needed is for the pressure and the heat and the weight and the angst of that moment to be so heavy that it provokes a gospel opportunity for the gospel to be applied. And then what started off as some awkward, cringy disaster becomes this gospel portrait. If you're in a messy family or in a messy community group, have hope and have a hope that is heavier than the grief that you carry. God is very good at taking broken pieces and redeeming them and making them fit together when they never look like they would ever fit together. I had a meeting this last week with one of the missional community leaders here. And just, he's doing a great job. All of them do a great job. We've got just killer community group leaders here. And he was talking to me about how a couple people were banging into each other a little bit because personalities, right? So they do what they do, and he's just kind of described. And there was a slight moment where I thought, wait, wait, we could fix this. We could fix this. I'm looking for ways to fix the knot that these, these guys had tied. And then after a while, I thought, no, this is beautiful. I'm excited. This is good. Well, what do you mean it's good? No, 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 this is good that they banged into each other because now we have an opportunity. We could really put our money where our mouth is now. We could say we're a gospel people or we could be a gospel people. It's a great opportunity. Listen, we have room to repent as we finish this moment here and we're about to move into the next. Some of us, we need to repent for avoiding hard people. Some of us need to repent for avoiding hard conversations. Right? We can repent for walking in the shape of the world when it comes to disharmony. For attempting to build our own perfect place of effort-free relationships. Repent for forgetting that we are free from the need to have perfect people around us perfectly. 
to repent for discarding difficult people, knowing that as difficult people, we ourselves were never discarded, right? Go ahead and stand with me. I'm about to take communion together. And listen, if you're watching or if you're here and you would not call yourself a Christian, of course, you're not sure if you'd even call yourself an unbeliever. You don't, maybe you don't even know where you're at. You're searching, maybe, checking things out. Here's the bad news for you first. You and I, we abused Jesus. We were manipulators. We rejected. We were destructive. We were divisive. We were contentious. And what we deserve in all of that is cosmic abandonment. To be discarded. That would be just. End of story. But then there's good news. That God brings us close and he calls enemies friends. That's what reconciliation is. Not because we were impressive, but because Jesus himself was impressive. Right? So this is what I would say to you. Back in Romans 5, if you're one of those people. Paul says, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one who would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Listen, someone might die for a good person, right? We've seen that. It's like in every movie, you know, to, to rescue a kid or to rescue someone that's defenseless. Someone might give their life if it looks like an innocent person or a victim. That is not what this is talking about. This is talking about how we were found. We were found throwing rocks. We weren't found as some innocent bystander just needing somebody to finally pull us out of our our horrible predicament. We were the ones that crucified him. We were the ones that mocked. We were the ones that had tongues of venom. We were the ones that loved sin, hated light, loved darkness. This is how he found us. This is how he found you. So if you're watching and you're not sure where you're at with Jesus right now, I would submit that as we take communion, don't worry about taking the bread, don't worry about taking the juice. I would submit that you take Jesus. Find Jesus to be beautiful in your life. Ask him. Ask Jesus to change your heart. If you, if you, to change your heart that is not really able to feel and to give you a heart that can feel, that bleeds, that needs, that depends, that wants, that hungers, that hopes that he'd set you alive. And did you know that the Holy Spirit will do that for you? He will change your life. That's what I would submit to you. For the rest of us as a church, when all of this ends, and you and I, and we see God face to face, and we we don't even see by the light that we have now, but by the glory that emanates from the king of all kings of the cosmos. And color looks like color should have always looked. Sounds sound like sounds should have always sounded. Our relationships finally work the way relationships were always supposed to work. When that happens, we will cry no more. No more anxiety. No more sleepless nights. No more bitterness. No more awkwardness. No more cringiness. No more any of that. For now, we have today. So we carry our sadness to God and we pray for those who divide, those who destroy those who manipulate, and if we go no further with them, we go no further, and we give God our broken heart. For now, we bear with each other's weirdness and awkwardness, and we remember that the gospel is good, and so we could go forward with each other. So listen, if you don't have one of these, go ahead and raise your hand, and we've got a good-looking guy that will come by and 
bring it to you. Now they're all going to race for these and see who's the best looking guy. Okay, if you're not a part of Legacy, but you're a Christian, we fully invite you into this moment. But again, if you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, I would just submit to you to focus your heart on begging God to change your heart. And use this moment for that. Let me pray for the rest of you as we go through communion together. Father, we thank you for being good and sweet and kind and gentle with us, not because we are well-behaved, not because we're impressive or perform well, but because we are covered in the righteousness that was given by your Son. We stand beloved as your church. You have great affection for us. And when you see us, you see your Son. And so I know that that came costly. You loving people that was difficult to leave, love, it required a bunch. No small price tag. A broken body and spilt blood was the price tag. So as we do this, we do this in remembrance of what it took to be loved while we were unlovely. So as we take this bread, we do so in remembrance of what you have done. Go ahead and take the bread. And Lord, we know that the blood that was spilled at the cross was also a blood that covers our sin. It's also a blood that makes us clean, that makes a bride spotless. It's a blood that takes everything that we have done to hurt family members. It's the blood that takes every damage that was done against us, and it covers it. Lord, if your gospel is not true, we stand no chance of ever, ever having harmony with each other. But because of your blood and because we are united as one family, we have your Holy Spirit to lead us, to increase our affection for each other, to remind us of what you've done so that when we are around awkward people that don't deserve love, that are hard to love, we have the patience. We have the tolerance. We have the joy, the excitement. So, Father, we love you and we thank you for this. And it's in your name that we take the blood. And, Father, I thank you for those who are here or those who are listening that are searching the things out of God, curious. Maybe they're learning. Maybe they've heard this a million times. I pray that you would work in their lives, that you would change, Father, a stone heart into a heart of flesh. That they would look at the blood on their hands and realize what they have done. And they would look at the blood on the cross and realize what it is that you have done. And not just accept you into their life, but run towards you and submit their life to your lordship for here and forevermore. I pray that that would happen, not just here, but in all houses of worship. That people across this city would be radically born again today. And Lord, for the rest of us as a church, as we sing... As we sing these songs, just a couple, Father, that you would massage our hearts and provoke us to repent where we need to. Some of us in this room have some hard conversations coming up. I don't take that lightly. Lord, that you would give them courage, that they would get counsel around them. Some of us in this room have a lot of repenting to do because they've just cut way too many people out looking for this happiness. So much for us, Father. Thank you for being so good to us and so kind. We pray in your name. We celebrate in your name. Amen.